Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Good to be back with you. Uh, thank you for all of you who prayed for me and such. Uh, something I am just incredibly encouraged by, though. Uh, I, I mentioned this Wednesday night, but uh, in the last three weeks, when you count up Wednesday nights, Sunday school, and Sunday mornings, there were five different members of this church who preached and teached, and they each did a fine job and faithfully fed the church, and I'm thankful for it. Um, this, this coming up this Friday, we've got the Good Friday uh, service. Let me encourage you to come out to this. This has become a pretty important uh, evening of worship and fellowship in the life of our church family. Uh, we'll, we'll start with a, a simple time of, of worship, singing a little bit, and, uh, and then looking specifically at Jesus' death and then getting us ready for Sunday uh, where we will study his resurrection. So let, let me encourage you to come on out for that. And then just, just one last thing before we get going. One after another, God keeps answering prayers, specific requests that we're lifting up for this building project. By the way, there's another cool one that happened just this morning. I'll tell you about sometime in the future. I don't want to take too much time here, but he just keeps answering very specific requests uh, that we're lifting up here. Um, this building, this current building did sell. Um, so the papers have been signed. Thank you, Mr. Bob, for the work you did in orchestrating all of these things. Uh, but it came with the deal uh, that once we move out of this building, and go to the next. We've got work we're going to do here. We've got renovations and a project, and it's our hope that even by the time this week is out, we'll have some more uh, leadership structure in place for how that's going to go. I'll be telling you more about that. But um, one of the reasons we're telling you about this months in advance, you know, we're thinking it might be July-ish uh, before we start. One of the reasons we're telling about you months in advance is so that you can clear your calendars. When it comes that time, we are going to need you. Uh, there are times I feel a little iffy about asking people to do hard things. You know how that goes. We know we're all busy, but we are telling you when that time comes, we need you. We are going to need workers. Uh, some of the guys who've looked at the project have said that if we get the volunteer labor we're hoping for, we can get this knocked out in four to six weeks, something like that. So uh, please be thinking along those lines as we get closer to the time. All right, let's look at the text here. Romans Chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, we'll read it and then we'll pray. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. Um, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Our merciful God in heaven, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that you did not abandon us when we had sinned against you and we deserved your wrath. We thank you that you have set your love on us in such a way that you sent your son 
Jesus has made a way for the forgiveness of sins. He has secured, he has purchased deliverance from what we deserve, the hell that we deserve. And so we who have embraced you through your son by faith in Christ, we just cry out and say, thank you. All of our hope is in you. What you have worked is an amazing salvation, an amazing redemption. We are overwhelmed. We will worship you forever. And we want our lives to be an offering of service. We want to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. That day in and day out, we live obedience and service to your kingdom to express our gratitude. And so as we pray that as we talk about these things this morning and this specific gift that we're addressing, that you will give grace to send your spirit and stir inside of us. Compel us, Lord. Don't let us live in rebellion to you. Don't let us live a selfish, indulgent life. Lead us to live a life that matters, a life that serves your kingdom for the building of your church. Please bring this, O oh God, and, and, and Lord, all, all that needs to happen for this time of worship to be uh, helpful and useful. We ask that you will give it. We pray for our little ones in the next room. Please bless them and cause your word to flourish as they hear it and help us in here. Please give your spirit to shine light on your word. Help me to preach and be useful. Help us to worship as we submit before you. Bow at your feet and pray. Speak, O oh Lord. Teach us. Feed, feed your people, O oh God, we pray. Awaken those that have not turned to Christ. Give, give the grace that's needed, we ask, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At Westminster Seminary, when the students who have spent the last roughly decade of their lives studying and, and training and exhausting themselves to pursue education, when they come to the end and it's the day that they're going to receive their PhD, they walk across the stage they're handed their diploma, and they're also handed a towel. They're handed this towel as a symbolic gesture of saying, you know, we are now sending you out to go wash feet, to go serve. It's a reference to what our Lord Jesus did on the night of his betrayal. Uh, after the supper, when he had instituted the Lord's Supper from the Passover there, See, it was a, a custom in their days. It appears that it wasn't always practiced, but that it was oftentimes the case that when people entered someone's home, a servant would wash their feet. Just practically speaking, they wore sandals in those days. They walked dusty roads. Their feet got gross. And so when they would come into someone's house, the same principle of why you don't walk through a house with muddy shoes, they would take off their sandals and a a servant would wash the grime off so that they wouldn't track it into the house. But this was something that servants did. In fact, when there was a household and there were multiple servants, the one who washed the feet was the lowest on the totem pole. It was the least. And so on that night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, there's something that he did that I imagine caused the room to go silent and angels to gasp. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, 
the one whom angels fall before, the one whom all the host of heaven cries out in gratitude and in song to, donned a towel, got on his knees, and one by one washed every foot in that room. The apostles were always arguing with each other about who was the most important. You remember some of those episodes in the Gospels when um, John and James would be arguing about we're the greatest in the kingdom and they argued over who would get to sit next to Jesus on his throne. There was such a competition among them that uh, no, one would have, no, no one of them would ever assume that position of the foot washer of the group. You know, nobody wanted to be pegged as that guy, the least of the group. And so as a result, their feet went unwashed because no one would do it. And so when Jesus wrapped that towel around his waist and began to work through the room, I, I, I imagine that there was a stunned silence. And one by one, every foot in that room he worked through, that includes Judas's, by the way, let that sink in. And after he had washed every foot, he, he spoke to them and he, he said this, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is another one of those moments in the Bible, and there are a lot of them that God caused an event to take place, and the event serves as a pattern. You know, it, it serves as a, a preaching illustration. It's a picture that was meant to communicate things and it set a pattern for times to come. That we're actually, that's actually going to come up several times today in this message. You know, you think about the idea, uh, God created Adam and Eve and then joined them in the first covenant of marriage and the rest of the Bible points back to that moment as a pattern for times to come. God does this over and over again in the Bible. And this is another one of those moments. Our Lord humbled himself, washed feet, and then said, go and do likewise. He told us to wash one another's feet. That is specifically referring to believers there. Yes, we are to love our neighbor and love our enemy, but that is a separate discussion. This one is specifically addressing your church family, the body of Christ universal. In thousands of ways, thousands of different kinds of ways, we are to wash one another's feet. We are to serve. Now, that, that, that illustration, this uh, principle that Jesus established, it, it would apply to every one of the gifts we're talking about and just uh, this discussion in general. God has given his people uh, certain spiritual gifts to use in the care of one another, but it especially applies to the one that we're considering this morning. We've been working through this section uh, on the spiritual gifts. Um, if you're just joining us this morning, we've already spent some time, we've done some work uh, laying the groundwork for understanding what are spiritual gifts, what's the big principle behind them. So uh, if you want to get caught up on that, you could see me afterwards. I'll point you to some notes or messages, that kind of thing. But what we're doing now is we're working through each of these gifts and we come to one today 
that needs to be uh, looked at separately on its own. It is this gift. You notice there in verse seven of service. So we're going to consider this one and I've, I've got the time divided into four parts. So, so here, here, here's how we'll look at this. Um, first, we'll look to see how this gift fits into the overall plan that God has for the church. Secondly, we'll spend some time looking at um, how this word is used in the New Testament. And there's a point to be seen about the many different kinds of ways that service is shown. Third, we'll see the point that every Christian, every follower of Christ is called to service. But fourth part, some people have the spiritual gift of service. So we'll work through each one of those. So here we go, get started. The second of the gift service, and here's letter A. Ha ha consider how this fits uh, into the overall plan of God for the church. So if you look at our text again, you notice in verse six, what kind of previews what comes after it. He says that in whatever way God has gifted you Christians, so I am speaking to you who are in Christ. If you've never turned to Christ, there's something else that you need. We'll get to that. But for you who are in Christ, there are with whatever gift that God has given you, you are to use it according to the proportion of the faith that he has given. So that statement is made in verse six and then it applies to the next several things that he says. It applies to prophecy. He says, you know, if service in his serving, that might seem like a strange phrase, but that's because we take in that, that statement that came before it. Use the gift according to the proportion of your faith. So with whatever faith God has given you, with whatever a mind to work, with whatever excellence you are capable of, with whatever highest potential of desire uh, that you have within you, serve in this manner. And then he comes there, we, we see in verse seven, he mentions this word service. Now we need, we need to consider this word because it is an important one in the New Testament. Um, this is a word that is used more than 75 times in the New Testament. Um, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the Greek word here, and it's, it's not because we, we, you know, we try to sound smart or anything like this. And you don't need to know every Greek word in, ever, in order to study the Bible, it would help. Um, but there are at least 20-ish words in the New Testament that would be helpful to commit to memory because they're, they're words that there's a big emphasis on. This is another one of those words. And so the Greek word here is diakonos. It's got some other uh, forms of it, like a verb form, diakoneo. But you hear in that the word deacon. This is where we get our English word for deacon. Now, diakonos and, and several of the ways that it's used in the New Testament, it's oftentimes spoken of in the New Testament in a way that is not referring to the uh, New Testament office of a deacon in the church, like that official office. This word is used in a wide range of ways, as we'll uh, see. But um, as we understand that, and, um, I, I want to make that clear before I say what I say next. Okay, so here in Romans 12, I do not believe that this is only addressing um, the office of a deacon, just like when it speaks of teaching. That's not just addressing pastors, for instance, when it mentions teaching, it's a, it's mentioning pastors. Sure. But every way that teaching takes place. Well, the same with with the word diakonos there. Yeah, it applies to deacons, but it applies to every other way that this gift is used as well. So I want us to understand that. But then notice 
this about what's happening in the passage. Look at the first of the gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12. What, what, what are they? Prophecy, service, teaching. Do you, do you notice a connection there? When we started to study spiritual gifts in general, we said that all of the gifts will, will fall into one of three categories, sign gifts, speaking gifts, and service gifts. We said that the sign gifts, those miraculous kinds of gifts, God designed that for the age of the apostles primarily, and that over church history, it faded, as I believe the New Testament said that it would, and now what is left are what? The speaking gifts and the sign gifts. Okay, well, we notice that happening in the text here, the speaking gifts and the sign gifts, but also think about this. When Jesus established the church and then he entrusted the apostles uh, to do the work of, of building the church, what are the two offices within the church that were established in scripture? Pastors and deacons. What is the work of a pastor? It's primarily the work of the word. What is the work of a deacon? It is primarily the work of deeds. So the ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. Well, in our passage here, we see that right out of the gates, this is what he is addressing. The ministry of the word and the ministry of uh, deeds. Now, let me show this to you. Um, in, in a clearer place, if you'll go back to the book of Acts for a second, Acts chapter six, it's the book right before the book of Romans. Acts chapter six, we have the establishing of the first deacon. So this is actually another one of those moments where there's an event and then it serves as a pattern. Okay, uh, for time to come, there's, there's, there's a picture that is preached here in the text. So look at Acts uh, chapter six, uh, beginning in verse one. Let's read through this here. Now at this time, while the disciples, that's speaking of all the believers, were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews, that would be the Greek-speaking Jews, against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. In the Greek, this is the word diakoneo. So it's, this is our same word. Verse three, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, pay attention to that word, ministry of the word. The word ministry there it is our same word, diakonos. So that's another way that the word is used. Look at verse five, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So this is the origination of the office of a deacon, and it's meant to set a pattern moving forward. But, but you notice there what this shows about the work of the church and, and what is uh, established there. For the church to be built, for the kingdom of Christ to continue to expand and strengthen, there is the need for there to be the active work of the ministry of the word 
and the active work of the ministry of deeds. And God provided for these two things to be happening in the church. Now, now watch this though. You know, the, your, your, your elders, the pastors, okay, are, are not the only ones who do the ministry of the word. There's a way that every believer is to participate in the ministry of the word. Speak to one another in, uh, speak truth to one another in love. Fathers teach their children, etc. But there's a way that pastors are supposed to lead in that. Likewise, when it comes to the work of deeds, the service that we're talking about, deacons aren't the only ones who do this. But there is a way that they are to lead by example and such in this kind of thing. But, but, but notice here how we, we see the way that this fits into the overall plan of Christ for the church, the ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. There are many, many ways to speak the word of God. And there are many, many ways to serve. And that, that brings us to the second part here. Um, let's take a look at some of the ways, a variety of ways that this, this word, this service and ministry is spoken of in the New Testament. So I'm, I'm just going to rattle some off here. You're welcome to turn there if you like, but I'm mostly just going to mention them. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, there's that occasion where uh, Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. If you remember that time where he went into the wilderness to be tempted and he endured in faithfulness and he comes out and the text tells us that angels then came to him and ministered to him. The word there for ministered is, is our word here, the diakoneo. They served Jesus. In Acts chapter 6 that we just looked at, the word uh, diakoneo is, is used for serving tables. But really, if you think about what happened there, that's not exactly the most specific thing that the deacons did. That's more of an expression you know, by the time you come to Acts chapter 6, the church at this point had grown to more than 5,000 people. Those seven guys didn't do all the work of deacons. Those seven guys didn't cook every meal and deliver every meal and do everything that was to be done. What did they do? They led a ministry. They recruited people. They facilitated. They orchestrated the handling of funds and resources and organization. But the word is used there for serving tables, but there's even more that is spoken of. In Matthew chapter 8, this is a real important one. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and then what, ha what happened right after that? Do you remember? She rose up and served Jesus or your translation may read waited on Jesus. She cooked a meal and fed Jesus. By the way, another passage there where there's an event that takes place and it is meant to preach a picture. It's meant to preach a pattern. This is supposed to be the story of every Christian, every Christian. We are healed by Christ in the forgiveness of sins, healed by Christ. And then what do we do? We are to raise up and go serve Christ. If you think I'm making more out of that than what is actually there, uh, I assure you that I'm not. Th that, that passage is mentioned three times in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
in all of the passages, every single one of them, the same picture is specifically shown and the exact same verb, diakoneo, is used in that passage. The New Testament writers understood they were preaching a principle there in a picture form. Jesus saves you, you rise up and diakoneo him. Another important one comes in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, there's that familiar passage of the day of judgment where Jesus paints this picture that Jesus is seated in, seated in glory on his throne and all of the nations are gathered before him. They're gathered before him and the great separation of history takes place. Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, those who are in Christ and therefore safe and will receive the kingdom and those who had rejected God and refused to bow the knee and trust in him. He divides them one from another. But, but listen to this part. This can get confusing as to how faith and works fit together, but we'll, we'll get there. He says to those who will inherit the kingdom, he says, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Those people respond by saying, Jesus, when did we ever see you in need? When did we ever see you naked and need to clothe you or, or in need of food? And Jesus, you remember what he says? Whatever you did to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did also unto me. Then he turns to those who will not receive the kingdom. And he says, depart from me. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. I was sick and you did not visit me. I was in prison and you did not uh, care for me. And on and on he goes and they respond, Lord, when did we ever see you in need? They rattle some of these things off. And then they say, when did we see you and not minister to you? And that is our word here. Jesus responds, whatever you did not do to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did not do to me. And so what, what's enlightening there is when the passage speaks of these many different kinds of care uh, that, that can happen to those who are hurting, those who are in prison, those who are sick, though this word diakonos is used for it. One more that I'll point out to you, and that's in Matthew 20. In Matthew 20, Jesus spoke and said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And of course, you know, that is our word that's being used there. Jesus served in the, the greatest way that has ever occurred in the history of the cosmos, the greatest act of sacrifice. He served, and the word that he uses there is this word. So all kinds of ways that this word is used. My, my point in walking you through them is, is, is twofold. Number one, it, it's to show there's a wide range of ways to serve. It goes from the highly complex... Okay, so uh, think of uh, a highly educated, uh, business savvy deacon who helps a church in financial dealings. Okay, 
all the way down to the simplest of ways to help another person, handing a cup of water in Jesus's name, the whole range of ways to serve others. And even, okay, the the work of ministry of the word, it'll be diakonos of the word will be used in this, a wide range of ways this is used. So that's the first reason. My second reason for walking us through those passages is to say this, and this is our third part, letter C, every single Christian is called to serve. Every single Christian is called to diakoneo. There are ways. The Matthew 25 text, which is a sobering passage, by the way, sobering passage and so much theology that comes out of there. It says that if you do not, if you do not, it demonstrates that you do not possess saving faith within you. The, the, the work of service and caring and ministering to others is a necessary outflow of, of, the, of the existence of saving faith in a person's heart. So, so, so li- listen very carefully. The Bible tells a message that is so different than the one you're always hearing in the world outside of you. Jesus said it will always be that way. The world outside is always telling you, you're awesome, you're amazing, you have everything you need, look within you, and you've got all that you need. What God says in scripture, God speaks from heaven and says, you are not okay. There is something that you desperately need. You have sinned against the living God, sinning against God's law. It is a crime, and crime deserves punishment. And what God says is that you must have the forgiveness of your sins. You must be, and there's the biblical language, you must be saved. You must be saved from the hell that you deserve. You must be saved from the sins that you have committed. Well, the way that you get right with God is not by going and feeding a bunch of hungry people and and doing a bunch of good deeds and then you make yourself right with God. You would never be able to feed enough people that would undo even one of your sins against God. What, What you need is a miracle where God cleanses you of your sins. And the way that you receive that, again, is not by good works. It is by faith in Christ. It is by turning to trust in Christ. It is embracing Christ in the heart. It is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior and the Messiah, the the King. It is true trust in Him. But here's what the Bible shows. When someone embraces Christ really in the heart and not just saying it so that they feel better, but truly trusting Christ, God works a miracle. That's not an exaggeration. It is a real miracle that is worked where the heart is turned to head a new direction in life. You, you become the kind of person who begins to obey God, who begins to serve God, so much so 
that Jesus says that on the last day, he will be able to show who his true people are by the lifestyle that they led. So we got to be very careful. It's not make it into heaven by your good deeds. That second hymn that we sang today, preach this so fantastic. Thank you, TJ, for introducing that song to us today. Preach this message, salvation by faith, so clearly. It's not do good deeds and then you get into heaven. It is faith in Christ makes you right with God and then that changes us into a different kind of person and the outflow is a life of good deeds. But part of the point that I'm making, every single Christian is told to serve and even says if we do not, it demonstrates you've never embraced Christ to begin with. Like, like so many of the spiritual gifts, there are ways that every single one of us is to use this one, but some people have the spiritual gift of service. But, but the one we're on right now is the reality that every one of us is to have ways that we are serving and using this particular gift. In e Ephesians 4, there, there's that passage we've referenced numerous times in this series because it's such an important passage. But in Ephesians 4.11, there's that phrase, that's that statement that's used again. The apostles, the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelist, they are the, the, the ones with the speaking and instruction gift. What do they do? Their work is to equip the saints, that's believers, all believers are saints, not just special people, equip the saints for the work of service. That's this word. For the work of ministry, every believer called to the work of service. There is supposed to be training, equipping, and empowering, and raising up. So listen to me, Christian. You were not saved so that you could sit. You were not saved so that you could live the life that you just, whatever you want to do, and so long as you avoid the really bad stuff, avoid the negatives, then it's fine, and in the end you inherit the kingdom of heaven. You, th that's not the way that this works. There's a lot of times the misunderstanding that if I just avoid the bad transgressions, then I'm doing fine because I'm not hurting anybody. No, you've been called to positive labor, not just avoid the negative. You've been called to bear fruit, to build the kingdom of Christ, to serve the church, to serve the hungry uh, for, the, for the work of service. So you are not saved to sit. You are saved to serve. This is the way that God has designed it. You know, sometimes when we as a church ask people to serve, now, with what I'm about to say, hear the spirit with which I say it, okay? Right. There, there, I'm, I'm going to say something convicting, so I'm, I'm being winsome at the, or at the front end, okay? Uh, we know there's a process of growing in Christ, and sometimes it's the case that the light bulb for service doesn't come on until later. So there's, there's, there's grace. Hear the spirit with which I say this. But sometimes when we ask people like the, to serve because there's a need, that's, that's always the issue in the church, by the way. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. It's not the other way around. There's not a shortage of work. There's a world full of people who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are hungry children. There are orphans that need adopted, etc., 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 etc. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. So we come to folks and we try to recruit them. Come, you know, there's this opening. There's this need. Come serve. Sometimes, you know, we hear something along the lines of, Oh man, pastor, you just don't know my schedule. We just started baseball season and 
you know, then we just signed our dog up for his basket weaving class. And you know, we've, we've just, we've just got, you just don't understand. We're so slammed. And, and, and I want to, I want to ask what might be a convicting question. If every Christian in the history of the church had given the amount of effort that you give to the building of the kingdom, what kind of state would the church be in today? For some that may cause the toes to hurt. Christ has called us to toil. He has called us to sweat. He has called us to labor. He's, he's called us, he's called us to imitate the work ethic of the apostle Paul. You know, if, if you look to the scriptures, to look at, you know, what, what kind of level of engagement should I have? You know, how much effort should I be put, putting in? Should I come to the day of judgment well rested? Or should I get there tired? Well, look at the examples we have in scripture. Look at the Lord Jesus. Look at the example that he set. Look at the apostle Paul who spent the sleepless nights in constant danger and labored and labored. And there's a reason why uh, in church history, God has given us these heroes, the John Calvins, the Charles Spurgeons, the Amy Carmichael's. Re read a biography on Amy Carmichael. They said she just used to run from one uh, house to the next. You know, John, John Calvin, I just think of as such an inspiration. By the time he was coming to the end of his ministry, at the ripe age of 54 because he had worked himself to the bone. At the age of 54, he had to be carried into his office. They had to carry him into the pulpit. He couldn't ascend the stairs. They carried him and then he would preach the word. These are the examples. These are the examples that scripture gives us day after day, service and toil and labor for the things of the kingdom of God. One more passage I want to ask you to turn to, Matthew 25, in reference to, to this part right here. In Matthew 25, by the way, the same passage as that uh, judgment. This is the passage that, that comes right before the scene of the judgment. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 30. It's, it's a longer passage, but it's worth it. I'm going to read it quick. Try to catch as many points as you can. Then I'll briefly address it. Verse 14. For it is just like, he's describing the kingdom the kingdom of heaven and the day of judgment, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. I'll address that in a moment, but here that's not the same as our English definition. A talent was an amount of money in these days. To one, he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I, gave, I have gained five more talents. Uh, watch how he responds. I love this response. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. 
You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. You see his attitude there. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that, that passage, just a monumentally important passage. And I, I just, I make an appeal, especially to you young people, okay? Like I would just about be willing to cut off my right arm if it meant you would memorize the passage and implement it into your life. Like th this will keep you from wasting your life. Th th this passage is about life. What is the meaning? What is the point? Our master, the Lord Jesus, has gone away to receive his kingdom. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And before he left, he has ordained that we would be entrusted with Talents. Now these talents, this was an amount of money in these days. It was actually a large amount of money. One talent was the equivalent of 15 years worth of wages. And he entrusted and dispersed them, speaking of the fact that these are valuable. He, he gave talents to his servants. He gave a different amount of talents to different servants, meaning God in his sovereignty and complete freedom does not give everybody an equal amount of, well, what is the of, you know, what, what does the talent represent in, in the parable there? Well, this is actually where we get our English, English word talent, our definition. It comes from this passage, Matthew chapter 25. The talent represents everything that God created for you to be good at, but, but, but more than that, every opportunity, every opportunity. The, the talent represents your intelligence, your looks, your athletic ability, your social skills, uh, how much money your parents had, whether you were, went to college and there's just all kinds of these various sorts of opportunities and resources. Yes, it refers to money, but it's not only about money. It's, it's about every single part of what God ordained to be an opportunity that you have. God has given these to us for a reason. And there are things that we can do with those talents. We can take, and by the way, time and your life itself is part of this stewardship of a talent. 
We can take these things and we can do what the wicked lazy slave did and just bury it in the ground and waste it. Waste it with a life that maybe we could justify ourselves where I don't rob any banks, but we just go to work, come home, watch TV, play our hobbies, do our stuff, and there's no meaning whatsoever. Or we can take the talents and we can use it for our own indulgence to misuse the money and the resources and the time and opportunities that God has given us. But why did he give them? He gave them for the using to bear fruit for his kingdom, to the building of the church, to the advancing of the gospel, to the feeding of the hungry, the adopting of the orphan, the caring of the widow. He gave us these talents in order to use for his glory. And Christian, I just appeal to you, you know, we are going to stand before him on the last day and answer for what did you do with the precious life that God gave you? What did you do with the talents? And I tell you that parable, at some point we needed to look at it in the use of these spiritual gifts, and I think this is an appropriate place to look at it. This would apply to the gifts that God has given. The spiritual gifts are ways that God has worked for you to have abilities. There are opportunities to serve. And so there is the calling to labor, to give, to love, to work, to build to be useful in the kingdom. So every believer has ways that we are to serve, but here's the last part, letter D. Some people have the spiritual gift of service. So this goes for several of the spiritual gifts. You know, we are all supposed to participate in evangelism in some way, but some people have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Same goes for teaching. There's all the way that we're supposed to be speaking of the word of God. Some people have the gift. Well, the same goes for service. Some people have the spiritual gift of service. So what does that look like? Well, you remember 1 Corinthians 12 is another passage where more of the gifts are mentioned. And in that passage, in verse 28, there's mentioned the gift of helps. I think that these are related. Helps, meaning you go help people. Help them do what? Sky's the limit. A wide range of ways that there can be help. There can be help with, with things that require complex wisdom and discernment all the way down to raking leaves in a widow's yard, all kinds of ways to help. These are the beautiful people who are always looking to serve. Maybe even your mind already has some members of our church family that you can think of and think, man, that guy, that woman, she just embodies this so well. Always looking to help people. L listen to me. This is a beautiful gift that God gave to the church and, and the kingdom of God has been built in part by these people who are looking to always be serving, always be laboring. Thank God for these folks the church has been built by the ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds, the preaching of the gospel and by those who, well, you know, in, in the early church, one of the ways that believers in the Roman Empire developed a good testimony when there were so many people that were uh, in, insulting them and hating them, there was still a way that they built a testimony that they were known as people who would give a respectful burial to a, a poor man who died and didn't have the money for it or didn't have family, the Christians would take care of it. 
The, the, the Christians were known as the people that when there were orphans in the street, the Christians will take them. They will, they will raise them. That they became known as people that everywhere that they went, they were looking to serve others. So is, is, is one of your spiritual gifts helps in service? You, you know, because one of the things to know about all these, it's not the case that God gives to each Christian one gift. Like this is all you get, teaching and nothing else or something like this. No, it's more like a combination. It might be something like three measures of this seven measures of that, 40 measures in this thing that you're really good at. But we are, in according to whatever ways that God has empowered us and gifted us, we are to use that for the glory of God. Do you find that when you go serve, that it turns out fruitful? That it turns out it does help people. It does benefit. You know, but trying, trying to serve in the kingdom of God means you're going to try some stuff and it doesn't go well. Okay, we've all been there, okay? Uh, we try to engage in it and we fall flat on our face or embarrassed to go, okay, not doing that one again or I need more training, one of the two, okay? But when it, when it comes to service, when you serve, do you, do you find that there, there is some flourishing that comes? Do other people tell you? that when you serve in this way that, oh man, you're really good at this, that this, this, this is a way that, uh, the way that you can serve the kingdom. And, and it is oftentimes the case, but I want, I want to be careful here in the way that I word it. It's oftentimes the case that when you serve in a way that God gifted you, there's something that is joyful and fulfilling about it. Do you find that when you do that? Now, I want to be careful because we just looked at Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. There are ways that even when you don't feel like it, the need of the hour is there and we must serve. But, but it is oftentimes the case that there is a sense of joy and delight in serving in the ways that God has gifted you. We need these folks. We need those who are willing to serve. You know, the, the church needs those people who start ministries and the visionaries and the entrepreneur types. But you understand if we were all that, that it wouldn't go very well. <laughs> if we were all starting ministries and there was nobody to join in the ministry, it wouldn't go well. We need those people who start the ministries. But we also are constantly needing the workers to go join the ministries there. Service, the gift of service is often unappreciated. It's oftentimes done behind the scenes so it doesn't get recognition. It oftentimes isn't in the spotlight. Sometimes from a human perspective, it's viewed in a lowly kind of way. It shouldn't be, but it is often viewed that kind of way. And sometimes there are Christians who think, I wish I had something more exciting, a spiritual gift that was just a little bit more dramatic or something. But, but listen, remember the economy of the kingdom. Remember the way that God has designed this. Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And if anyone wants to be great in the kingdom of God, then he will be a servant. This is the way that we gain reward and we honor our father. And even in some mysteries, when we come into the next age of the kingdom, what we do here will determine position, honor, and even things we are put in charge of in the kingdom to come. What all does that look like? We don't know everything about it, but we are shown it. Sometimes people will 
uh, come to me and, and I've heard numerous people say this. So if you're one of these, don't think I'm singling you out. This is numerous people who have said this to me. They'll say something like, you know, pastor, I just, I don't preach. I'm not real good at evangelism. I don't know theology all that well, but I just feel like I can at least do this. And the way they say it, it it's kind of like they think, I know it's unimportant, but no, this is the way that God designed it. God designed it that there has to be the ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. Can you imagine how chaotic it would be if we were all preachers? It would be terrible, okay? Go to a meeting sometime that's nothing but preachers. You'll come away and thank God that not every Christian is a preacher, okay? We need the ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. And this is how Jesus has designed. All of the gifts come together. There's a way that we complement one another. There's a way that our weaknesses are made up by other believers' strengths in one another. God has so designed the body that there is a mystery where his glory is demonstrated, and this is one of those important parts, the gift of service. So, so I, I ask you and, and plead with you to evaluate your life. Do you have the ability to serve, and do you have opportunity to serve and if that is the case, I want to plead with you, lean into this, lean into this, G give yourself wholeheartedly, Re rejoice in the fruit that will be coming. And every time you do something and it's unappreciated and you're tempted to be bitter, remind yourself that the reward will be greater because nobody saw it. This, this is the way your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Imitate the Lord Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christian, wash feet, serve one another, build the body of Christ, bring the kingdom to come. Let's close in prayer. Our father in heaven, we do ask that you will raise up and deploy more workers and laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We ask, oh God, that you will raise up more. In, in all of the ways that it is needed, we do pray that you'll raise up more missionaries to go to the nations. We pray that you raise up church planters to go and start new works. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'll raise up more uh, teachers, leaders, workers within this church. And Lord, we pray that you will raise up more with the gift of service. I pray that you would clarify in more people's minds if this is a way that you want them to engage. Lord, I ask specifically that if there are believers in our church that have not yet been really engaging, I ask, oh God, that you'll come to them and so compel them that they just can no longer resist. And I pray that they'll join in the work, no longer sitting on the sidelines, but getting into the work in the trenches itself. Please bless, oh Lord. Please give us your blessing as we dismiss here. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.